Oh, my soul will rest on Jesus. He alone can stay my fears. Great words. Robert Murray McShane once wrote these words. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Never heard Christ praying for me in the next room, but I grew up hearing the next best thing. Late at night when I was supposed to be in bed, I would creep down the creaky stairs in our old house and sit on the bottom step and wait in the dark and the silence to hear my name. On the other side of the landing in the next room, behind a closed door, mom and dad would be kneeling by their bed praying before turning in for the night. They would begin by praying through the day they had just experienced, giving it to the Lord. And then they would offer up petitions for the day to come. Their prayers were full of names. They prayed for friends who were sick and mission friends around the world. They prayed for dad's customers by name. They prayed for our neighbors. They prayed for my sisters. And they prayed for me. And Lord, bless Buddy. May he always be as sensitive to your spirit as he is right now. Or, please help him stop hitting his sisters. <laughs> you know, I remember that it didn't matter a whole lot to me what they were saying about me. The thing that mattered was that they were still praying for me. And with that knowledge, I would sneak back upstairs and climb into bed, assured that God was still in heaven and that all was right with the world. Well, at least my little corner of the world. In our text for today, we're given a beautiful picture of the purpose and the power of intercessory prayer. Now, when we refer to prayer as intercessory, we're simply speaking of prayer on behalf of others. To intercede is to plead or make request on behalf of someone other than ourselves. It is to stand before God on behalf of another and plead for God's gracious provision in his or her life. And Scripture is full of examples of this kind of prayer. From Abraham pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah, to Jesus praying for the disciples and all those who would follow, all those the Father had given him, to Paul interceding for the Jews and then for the churches of the first century. Intercessory prayer is to be found everywhere throughout Scripture. But this morning, I want to focus our attention on a single example of intercessory prayer. Moses' prayer for the people of Israel as it's revealed here in the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus. By now, most of you are quite familiar with the circumstances leading up to Moses' intercession on behalf of God's people. But for those of you who are just tuning into this series of messages, I will simply say that Israel, between two and three million strong, had only recently been miraculously delivered out of slavery in the land of Egypt. But already, months later, just days later, if you will, they had hardened their hearts against God and they had set up idols in His stead. They had also involved themselves in gross immorality and they had turned their backs on their God saying that it was not the God of their fathers who had delivered them from Egypt, but 
a God in the likeness of an image of a cow. And all this at the very time that God was delivering His covenantal commandments to Moses up at the top of Mount Sinai. As soon as Moses became aware of the people's great sin, while he was still on the mountaintop with God, he began to plead with God to forgive his people. And his intercession on their behalf continued long after he returned to the encampment in the plains below. After learning that God was planning to destroy the entire nation for their gross sin, we read in verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord God. And in verse 31, so Moses went back up to the Lord saying, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold, but now please, please forgive their sin. And if not, blot me out of the book you have written. Well, with this storyline fresh in our thinking again this morning, let's see what we can learn about intercessory prayer based on God's revealed word here in Exodus 32. First thing I would note is this, that intercessory prayer is a sustained appeal to God on behalf of those we care about, or if you prefer, those placed under our care by God. It's true that intercessory prayer may, on occasion, be lifted before the throne of God suddenly, spontaneously, as when we happen upon some great wrong or stumble across the pathway of one whose burdens seem just too great to bear. In these cases, intercession may well up within us like a geyser that simply cannot be contained. It may on occasion be intense for a moment and then be gone. It's also true that on occasion the Spirit of God may prompt us to intercede on behalf of someone or ones we hardly know and have little rational reason to care about. They may even be among our enemies. But suddenly you find, you find yourself pleading on their behalf. For what you may not even know. You simply know that the Spirit of God has placed within you a deep sense of oughtness. Have you experienced this? An inescapable urge to pray for God's mercy or conviction or salvation in the lives of these people. These are certainly legitimate examples of intercessory prayer. But most often, Intercessory prayer takes the form of long, sustained prayer on behalf of someone we care very much for, usually someone whom God has placed under our care. And so it was with Moses. In Deuteronomy 9, the parallel passage of Exodus 32, he reminds the people of God, when you sinned against God, I, Moses, fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread. I drank no water. Such was Moses' concern for those that God had placed under his care that he prayed for them day and night for 40 days and 40 nights and didn't stop to so much as eat or drink. Have you ever forgone a single meal 
because you were engaged in prayer for someone you cared about? Many of you have, I know. In his book, Wishful Thinking, A Seeker's ABC, Frederick Buechner writes, according to Jesus, by far the most important thing about prayer is to keep at it. Has anyone ever prayed for you for 40 days and 40 nights? Has anyone ever missed a meal because they were so intent on pleading your cause before God? Aunt Pauline uh, married young. She married before she had given her life to Christ. And she married a very successful businessman. But Uncle Harry wanted nothing to do with God. He spent his life pursuing his own selfish pleasures at the expense of his wife and his daughters. And meanwhile, Aunt Pauline interceded for Harry before the throne of God. And the meaner he got, the more she prayed. She prayed for him every day. She prayed for him every night. Not for 40 days, but for 40 years. And in God's good time, Uncle Harry looked in the mirror one day and saw the disgusting creature that he had become. He bowed his knee before God. He confessed that he was a sinner in need of a Savior. And in his latter years, he was known to be a man who confessed readily that his life had been transformed by the unfailing love and prayers of a wife who didn't give up on him. Somebody here might be thinking, you got to be kidding me, Marty. What kind of stuff? I mean, that kind of stuff doesn't happen today. That kind of stuff doesn't work. Oh, but it does, by God's grace. Some of us are here today because somebody prevailed in prayer for us over the days and the months and the years. But I want to consider a few other characteristics of intercessory prayer with you this morning. The second is this. Intercessory prayer is a ministry of those who have cultivated a life of prayer. Prayer, and most especially intercessory prayer, is one of those things that's hard to be against. It's right up there with the American flag and apple pie and democracy. So when we talk about it, it's easy to say, amen. You tell them, pastor. Preach it. Prayer, that's the thing. Tell them. And in a moment of spiritual euphoria, we might even be inclined to become an intercessor. Well, for a moment, anyhow. I mean, what could it hurt, right? A few more minutes of prayer each day. But though our intentions are good, most of us, let's face it, most of us won't follow through on these intentions for very long. Why? Because intercessory prayer is a ministry of those who have already cultivated a life of consistent prayer. I believe it's a calling that God extends to those who have made prayer a priority in their daily walk with Him. Who are the examples of intercessory prayer given to us in Scripture? Abraham, a friend of God. 
Moses, said to be the humblest man on earth. Samuel and his mother, Hannah, who prayed for him years before he was even born. Elijah, the prophet. A prophetess named Anna, a poor widow woman who lived in the temple and spent her days praying until at last she actually saw the Christ child. King David, of, of whom it was said, in fact, he said it himself in Psalm 109.4, I am, and we include the words in the English, a man of, but the text just says, I am prayer. Paul, and of course, Jesus. Each of these men and women lived a life characterized by prayer. Or think of the men and the women you've known over the years who have lived a life of intercessory prayer. Can you think of one of them who overnight took up the challenge of intercessors of God's people? But while relatively few of us are dedicated to the kind of intercessory prayer displayed by Moses or Abraham or Sarah or Paul, and while few of us may even call, feel called to such an intense and constant ministry of prayer. I believe each and every one of us has been entrusted with the physical and emotional and spiritual well-being and development of a circle of family and friends that God has asked us to care for. For some of us, that circle is extensive, while for others, it's really quite small. But each of us has our God-given circle of men and women and children who've been entrusted to our care. And the example of Scripture and of our Lord would strongly suggest that our care for these family and friends begins with prayer. I think one of the great classic examples of prayer for God's people in the Old Testament is Samuel, who was a prophet and a judge in Israel. In 1 Samuel 12, we find him giving his closing address, his farewell speech to the people of Israel as he steps back. You remember the people had demanded a king for themselves, and Samuel had said after much prayer before the Lord, I will grant you what you have asked, will give you a king. And so Samuel now is stepping down, if you will, from his office. He is, if you want to think of it that way, retiring from his role as judge, for now a king has been raised up. But listen to what he says as he closes this season in his life. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I would suggest that in like manner, each one of us should be found faithful, interceding for those God has entrusted to us. You may say, well, it doesn't really matter what I say or what I pray because they're not listening to me anymore. My kids don't listen. My grandkids don't listen. My neighbors, nobody listens anymore. And I would respond, perhaps, but they can't keep you from loving them and they cannot keep you from interceding on their behalf. A third characteristic of intercessory prayer is that it's selfless. At times, it's even sacrificial. We see this numerous places in our text for today, but I think especially in verses 31 and 32 where we read, so Moses went back to the Lord, apparently back up the mountain, and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They made themselves gods of gold. But now, please, 
please forgive their sin. And if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. There's several things to note from this short passage. First, Moses has what the rest of us only dream of. He has an audience with God, a one-on-one with God. And how does he use this opportunity? There is no discussion of his own personal issues. There is no discussion of God's proposal recorded in verse 10 of our passage. Did you notice that where God had said to him, look Moses, just let me alone with my anger. Let me burn in my anger against these people and then I'll destroy them and then what? He says, then I'll raise you up as the father of a new nation. Whoa. How about that? He's going to be the next Noah. He may, even Abraham, if you will. What an opportunity. There's no discussion of this at all in Moses' comments. Instead, his thoughts and his requests are entirely for others, those entrusted to his care. See, that's the very nature of intercession. It takes us outside of ourselves and it focuses our attention on others. It is selfless. Once in a great while, someone will say to me, Pastor, I want you to know that I pray for you daily. And sometimes I actually believe them. And then the thought comes to mind, forgive me, I'm going to be very honest here. Then the thought comes to mind, I wonder if he or she knows that I haven't so much as thought about them in weeks. It's incredibly humbling to know that someone is interceding for you on a regular basis. Why? Because it is one of the most selfless things that anyone can do for you, and it is one of the most transformational things they can do for you. There's a woman on the West Coast who has been faithfully praying, who has been faithfully interceding for Sherry and me and for our family for nearly 35 years. You say, how do you know she prays for you like that? Because she takes time to sit down and email a copy of her prayers to us. My prayer for you today. And each time one of her prayers for us appears on the computer, I think, what an incredible privilege. What a gift to know there's somebody out there who is thinking of you. More than that, interceding for you. I remember standing by a friend some years ago at the wake of his father. His father had just gone to be with the Lord, godly man. And this dear friend of mine was standing at the foot of the coffin and I walked up to him and expressed my sympathies and the tears just flowed and I said, you know he's with the Lord. He said, yeah, pastor, but who will pray for me now? Moses' prayer for his people was not only selfless, it was actually sacrificial. In verse 32, he says, but now forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of the book you have written. Now, commentators argue over the exact meaning 
of Moses' request here. But they agree that he is either saying, Lord, if you won't forgive them, then let me die in their place, or at least let me die with them. God had said, I will destroy them and make you father of a new people. But Moses says, no, 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 let's not talk about that. I want you to know that my heart is for them. And if you won't deal with them according to your grace, take my life. At its height, at its peak, that's the very essence of intercession. It is a willingness to take the pain, the penalty, do another. It's rare, but occasionally intercession rises to that level. I think of Paul in Romans 9.3 when he said, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Or Jesus' own words in John 10.11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I'm convinced that this more than perhaps any other single thing is the reason there are so few true intercessors. We realize that intercession is a costly business. It is selfless and sometimes even sacrificial. Fourth characteristic of intercessory prayer is that it has its dual focus, as its dual focus, the glory of God and the good of his people. We've already seen the good of God's people, especially those under our care, is the focus of intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer pleads on behalf of others. But Paul's argument, his rationale as to why God should grant his plea, and Moses' rationale in our passage for today, is that there is another and even greater focus in intercessory prayer. Listen to Moses' own words in verses 11 through 13. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out? To kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land. I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Listen, says Moses. There is something at work here even more important than the lives of two to three million people. You say, what in the world could be more important than the lives of two to three million people? Moses puts his finger on it. It is the reputation, the faithfulness, the very character of God himself. Remember, says Moses, you swore by your very person that you would give this people a land of promise, and you made a covenant with your servants, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to the same end. And will you violate your own trustworthy character and give the nations reason to despise you? 
And with those few simple words, simple but very, very profound and important, Moses reminds God's people for all time that the single greatest focus of intercessory prayer, as I believe of all prayer, must be the glory of God. How often in our intercession for those we love, we fail to take into account this higher, this greater focus. Our hearts are full of compassion for those we plead for, as well they should be, but we forget to take into account the even larger issue of how God may wish to bring glory to himself through these circumstances. On the occasion recorded here in Exodus 32, deliverance for Israel and the glory of God were compatible. Both could be accomplished by the same ends. But what of those occasions when the good thing we pray for might bring gladness and healing to the hearts of our loved ones, but would fail to bring the greatest glory to our God. I think we do well to remember that even when our intercession for others is selfless and even sacrificial, there is a higher and a holier issue at stake, and that is always God's glory. I wonder how often we walk away from a season of passionate intercession for a loved one with the feeling that we have somehow failed to prevail, failed to affect our desired end for our loved one, never stopping to consider the possibility that what has really transpired is that God has accomplished a better if more difficult end for our loved one, and at the same time, brought a greater glory to himself. A fifth characteristic of intercessory prayer is that it appeals to God's mercy. As Moses prepares to go before God on behalf of his people, there is no bravado. Did you notice that? There is no name-it-and-claim-it theology going on here. No effort to suggest that God owes his people anything. There is no recitation of, of their past good works as if to imply that they are deserved better treatment. Nor is there talk of their future potential to do great things for God. Oh, Lord, you should save this one because if you do, he's a real winner. Just think of the testimony he could have for you. To the contrary, there is only the confession of great sin and great unworthiness. Verse 31, oh, what great sin these people have committed, but now please forgive them. Notice even Moses' language when speaking with the Israelites about his appeal to God reveals this same spirit. Verse 30, I will go up to the Lord on your behalf. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. You got no grounds here, folks, but I'm going to plead for you. Perhaps a gracious God may deal with you graciously. Rightly understood, intercessory prayer is always an appeal of sinful man to a holy God. An appeal not for what we deserve, but for his mercy. During a very dark season in uh, our own lives, when our son was dying with cancer. 
we were approached by a number of well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ with words like these. Pastor Sherry, we're praying for you. Certainly God will grant your desires. I mean, after all, you've been such faithful servants for him over the years. I remember uh, thinking on occasion, oh, please don't go before God and tell him what a good boy I am. Because he knows me a lot better than you do. <laughs> and he might tell you, there have been a few days when he wasn't all that. What we fail to reckon with is that we don't earn bonus points from God that we can later bargain with to get what we want. Oh, no. Intercessory prayer must always make its appeal on the basis of God's undeserved mercy. Finally, and this appears as the sixth characteristic of intercessory prayer listed on your outline, intercessory prayer touches the heart and the hand of a compassionate God. In our text for today, verse 14, we read, Then, at, that is, after Moses had offered up intercessory prayer on behalf of God's people, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster, the total annihilation that he had threatened. As all of you who have ever given much thought to prayer are fully aware, there is much mystery around prayer. And the longer you're at it, the more you pray, the more you know that. We wonder of what value could prayer be since not a one of us is wise enough to give counsel to God about anything and since none of us can inform him of a single thing that he doesn't already know. Or again, how in the world can God repent of anything since Scripture is clear that God never changes his mind? His sovereign and providential purposes are from eternity. But you know something, when we've asked all of our questions and admitted that there's, there's much about prayer that we really don't understand, these two truths repeated over and over again in Scripture remain unchanged. You say, what are they? First, our God loves to give good gifts to His children. Thank God. Two, second, He loves to give these good gifts in answer to prayer. Story after story, precept after precept in God's Word assure us that our prayers, our intercession, touch the heart of God and move His sovereign hand to act on our behalf. But maybe the greatest proof of this is the example of our Savior Himself. While on earth, He frequently made intercession for the needs of those who came to Him. And you say, well, but what is he doing right now? You know what he's doing right now, don't you? In a few minutes, we're going to observe communion, a remembrance of Christ's death on our behalf. We'll eat the bread, we'll, we'll, we'll drink of the cup, and our minds will take us back as they should to Christ's work for us on the cross. But where is Jesus today? What's he doing right now? What do the Scriptures tell us? They tell us that he's at the right hand of God the Father at this very moment where he ever lives to make, what is it? Intercession 
for us. Consider this. If intercession is the work Father God has given our Savior to do down through the ages until he returns for us, what does that tell us about the value he places on the work of intercession? Well-known Christian author John Bunyan once wrote, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Let me paraphrase that. You cannot give those you love more than your intercession after you have prayed for them, but you can't give them more than your prayers until you have prayed for them. This Christmas season, uh, Sherry and I are doing something we've not done before, and that is we, we made up a prayer calendar and we've identified loved ones, starting with those that God has entrusted to our care, family, and then going beyond that. Some of you are on our prayer calendar for, for the holidays this year. And daily we want to be lifting up, even interceding on behalf of some of you and our loved ones, as this season reminds us of the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ who came into the world as an intervention. He spent his life here interceding on our behalf and then went to the presence of the Father where even now he continues to intercede. We want to join in the spirit of Christ and in interceding on behalf of our loved ones. Let me put this challenge before you as we come into the holiday season. Might I, as you wrap your gifts this year, as you send cards, as you invite guests, as you hear from family and friends, Stop for a moment and offer up a gift they can neither reject or exchange. The precious gift of intercessory prayer. Remember the words of John Bunyan, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Spirit of God, thank you for your word, for teaching us something of the meaning and the value, the purpose, and the power of intercessory prayer. May our lives be characterized, saturated by prayer. And may we at this season of the year offer up to our loved ones and to those you've entrusted to us the gift that has eternal value, the gift of intercessory prayer. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.